Scripture reading this morning is from Luke 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on, her, on earth peace to those who, whom, on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. As I said at the beginning, uh, Nick is preaching for us. We love, one, we're just very blessed to have him here to not only his musical talent, but um, his mind as well. Um, He's a great thinker, um, incredibly gifted in that area. Um, And so we're grateful to be a place where he can come and preach. Not, (laughs) bless you, Natalie. Uh, (laughs) um, And again, bless you. Uh, so we're grateful to have him here um, as he's going through seminary to give him preaching opportunities um, because uh, God has gifted him and blessed him. And so we're grateful to have his him and his word uh, with us this morning. So, Nick. All right. Um, good morning. Uh, as you know, we are seated. I'm seated. So maybe maybe this is more for uh, Kenan and Hannah back in the back. But this is more of a discussion um, rather than a sermon where I speak at you, but I invite you to give feedback, talk, discuss. I'll try to leave some open-ended questions where we can respond and converse and talk about God's Word. Um, in As Mark mentioned earlier, there's confusion about all the different themes and about all the, uh, the, the themes of each week of Advent. So uh, instead of love, we did light, and instead of love or light... Let's talk about joy, (laughs) Uh, because that's what I have prepared, Uh, and it's in our text this week. So I'll just open it up, Uh, just blurt out your answers. What does joy mean to you? What is your experience of joy? If you had to define it or give an example of joy, it could be simple. It could be eating a donut or something like that. Unfettered happiness. That's great. Great word. Mm, did you get that from my sermon title? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Expected. Sure. Sure. Of course. That's great. Like what you did there. It's real creative, guys. Uh, anything else? Joy. What comes to mind? It's good. It's kind of bubbles up from your soul. It's good. Spark, yes, right. Spark of joy. Great. You didn't catch that? Um, What Marie Kondo would not throw out. Um, Okay, what, what do you think maybe joy means to the world? 
maybe outside of the church or the world around us, our friends, family? What do you think joy means to them? Yeah. Job promotion. Sure. What's that? Yeah, right. And to be fair, we find excitement, be it joy or happiness, and all these things as well. Uh, we're not uh we're not immune to those things. That's good. Thanks for your feedback. I think those are all great answers. But I want to make a distinguish or distinguish a difference between what joy means for us and perhaps what joy might mean to the world around us. I would argue, feel free to push back, that joy perhaps isn't even the vocabulary. It isn't even in the vocabulary of our culture. It isn't in the vocabulary of, of what we seek. It isn't in the vocabulary of our founding documents as a nation. The pursuit of happiness, not joy. You see, the world wants happiness. We also want happiness. But what happiness is, and I think we can all attest to this, it's when what we mean by that, it's it's quick fixes. It's like a donut. You're craving carbs. Maybe you've been on a diet and you've been craving carbs, and you have that donut, and you're like, man, this is everything good and holy in the world. But it leaves you unsatisfied, gives you a stomach ache. It's fleeting. Maybe we want to escape from reality. Maybe it's depression that we're fighting. And maybe that means climbing mountaintops to feel a, a fleeting sense of accomplishment. Maybe that's an escape in a substance or a material or whatever it may be. But we all know it's fleeting. If it filled us up, we wouldn't keep running to that well that was dry. See, happiness also is found within ourselves. It's wholly internal. That's what the world will tell you. you it's, it's vain. It's self-serving. And here's, here's one thing. It often comes at the cost of other people. Often. I'm going to be authentically me whatever that means for me. And I don't care what anybody else, I don't care how it affects anybody. And I'm not knocking authenticity, but, but that's our sense of happiness. I'm going to do whatever makes me happy and only me. Again, happiness seems to be vain, self-serving, and at the cost of others, damaging, damaging to others. So I see, therefore, a, a, a almost harsh, not harsh, there's some overlap, and maybe it's a Venn diagram, of joy and happiness. And our joy can be grounded in something outside of ourselves, unlike happiness. You see, this is really cool. I did a word study, because that's what you do when you go to seminary, and they tell you to do stuff and how to preach and all that kind of stuff. But I just think it's fascinating anyways. And I bet y'all all do. We, we probably all like documentary type stuff. It's the same kind of thrill, uh, word studies. But what's awesome in joy, I looked at every occurrence in the New Testament, and by far, if not explicit, there is some implicit connection with joy and a period of waiting 
of longing and of expectation. And a lot of times that's painful, but that waiting, longing, expectation. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is kind of like a, this hits the nail on the head, and everything kind of touch, has touch points to this. But uh, he talks about joy in, in a paragraph in John chapter 16, and I'll read three different verses from you, but catch the waiting, longing, and expectancy. Chapter 16, verse 20 says, Very truly I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. The next verse, chapter, or verse 20, 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Again, you get a sense of longing, expectation. You get the imagery of a woman giving birth, something we've recently experienced. It is you await nine months to see this baby, this belly grow, and You see them maybe on ultrasounds, and you just have this ultimate expectation, expectation like I've never felt before. And there is anguish, there is fear, there is the unknown, uh, especially in the birthing process. But you forget all of that (laughs) the moment you see that baby. For me, it was when he lifted his little hand up out of the the warmer. I'm going to cry here. Think about it. Um, but it's my hand. It's my little hand. Um, just miniature size. Um, yeah, so th- th- my, m- the point is joy, unlike happiness, which is fleeting, which is perhaps vain and self-serving and harms others, joy is attached to this period of longing, of waiting, perhaps, perhaps grief, perhaps anguish in the meantime, but the joy will never be taken away. So, now that we've defined our terms joy, let's look at what our text here has to teach us about joy. So we see in our text, the angels came to these shepherds that are just out working their fields, and they're absolutely terrified. It says they were terrified. And uh, you know why? It's not when we, when we think of uh, angels, we think of like the Gabriel, perhaps, and like uh, Da Vinci's The Annunciation. I think it's Da Vinci. Yeah, it's Da Vinci's Annunciation, and they're beautiful and glorious, and they just like, they look like the most supreme human you've ever seen, and they have wings, and they're shining. But if you read texts like Ezekiel, which actually show what uh, angels are, holy cow, they are terrifying. <laughs> so it is, right, absolutely, very, it's like Demogorgons, but, uh, but ag- agents of God. <laughs> So good ones. Uh, that, that's what angels are like. So they're terrified. They're just these shepherds. But what the angel of the Lord says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So what is our passage? Teach us about joy today. I think point one, 
Um, I'm borrowing this from you, Mark. Joy comes in unexpected ways. Joy comes in unexpected ways. You see, this is a theme in Scripture, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. This is just a metaphor where there's a great reversal of themes. One of my favorite ones is in, in Revelation when John is in the throne room, and he's seeing all the suffering in the world, and you've just talked to the churches, and there's this that scroll that has the seals that's going to initiate God's judgment, and who can open it? And they search the world, and no one can. And John is weeping because no one is able to open the scroll. No one's able to bring justice. But an angel touches him, I, I see this creatively, touching him on the shoulder and says, but there is one, the Lion of Judah, who can open the scroll. And you hear a lion, and John turns and looks and sees not a lion, but a slain lamb. So there's this theme of a great reversal, this upside-down kingdom of God, as people say. And so joy, in the same way, comes unexpectedly. So we don't have it in our text, but in contrast, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it talks about Caesar, Augustus, giving this command for, for census. And so you have this regal imagery in mind. There's, you have uh, mentions of Herod as well. So you have these kings um, royal over the greatest, the greatest uh, empire the world had ever known. And in contrast to that, Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, is a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Joy comes in unexpected ways. When we expect certain things, we expect joy from many things. We expect it from perhaps our fixes, perhaps our climbing mountaintops, the substances we run to, whatever it may be, the experiences we try to have. But often those don't bring us joy. But what brings us true joy is stuff that is unexpected the mundane, the seeing our children babble or smile for the first time. Obviously, that's relevant to us right now. But joy comes unexpectedly. As well, in this text, there's a great heavenly choir that comes in thir verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared and with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those with whom his favor rests. You have this glorious scene. I'm sure something all of us uh, musical nerds would love to see. <laughs> There's a heavenly choir, this ultimate choir, singing great praises. What a beautiful, angelic message, picture. But their audience is three shepherds in a field. It's not the great nations. It's not Caesar Augustus. It's not King Herod. It's just three shepherds. Joy comes in unexpected ways. We ought to look for the, we ought to expect the unexpected when God, when Jesus works in our lives. I think a second thing this teaches us about joy is that joy is for everyone. Not just the elite, not just the ones who have it all together, not just our superiors. Sometimes we don't even think it's for us. But joy is for everyone. You see, the Gospel of Luke is, I love this, all the Gospels have these different lenses 
by which they view Jesus. Our textbook uh, is called Four Portraits, One Jesus, and I think that sums it up really well. And the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew has this emphasis towards the nations. The Gentiles are included in the nation of Israel. The Gospel of John, perhaps my favorite, engages with the deity, the divinity, the mystery of God, this God-man in Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, among many things, is the most universal gospel. So when you read Luke, you can see written all over the pages, the social outcasts, the lowly, women are given this special authority or this special seat before Jesus in his ministry. And the same is here true. Or the same here is true. Instead of three magi, like in Matthew's gospel, we have three shepherds of no social status, ruffians, I'm sure, probably somebody I would get along with greatly. <laughs> A little rough around the edges. We're nobodies. But it's to the shepherds that the angels come. And they were the first people invited to witness the birth of the Messiah, the King. You see, joy comes in unexpected ways, and it comes to everyone. Again, this will bring great joy for all people. We have a way of perhaps counting people out. They could never be recipients of good news, of Jesus, of salvation. Their hearts are hardened. They're not important. They're nobodies. But Jesus comes, perhaps especially, to those, and we praise him for that. Gospel, or joy, is for everyone, especially the lowly. And I think a third thing, which is very evident, is that Jesus is the content of our joy. I've mentioned a couple times we find, try to seek happiness in many other things. But what is clear here is that this good news will bring great joy to, to all the people. And what is that joy? It's Jesus. It's a baby in a manger who doesn't, isn't of any import, is vulnerable, frail, perhaps a social outcast, given the situation of his parents. But he is the content of our great joy, our unexpected Messiah, the king that we thought would be take down Rome. is just a baby in a manger. You see, Jesus came not only to rule, to be a king, to be the Messiah, to be the Lord, but I love this. The first title that the angel gives to this baby Jesus is a savior. A savior is born. You see, Israel had been waiting and longing for centuries for someone to liberate them, for them to experience fully the kingdom of God, their promised savior. And they had expectations of what that was. But this is who that was, a savior. And like Israel, we are lost without our Savior. Again, we strive for ourselves, perhaps frustrated by our futility. Nothing perhaps is ever good enough, and even if it is, it is only for a moment. We even think that we aren't good enough. There's always another obstacle to overcome, 
a flaw, character flaw to work around. But the truth is, a Savior is born. We have the one who can take our brokenness and fix it, make us whole in the image of him like we are created to be. Jesus is the content of our joy. And that transformation, that salvation, is the type of joy that lasts, the type of joy that when in the face of your family perhaps falling apart, in the face of persecution, in the face of oppression from the enemy that tells you lies about yourself, in the face of all the injustice in the world, we still can cling to hope. The joy of Jesus, the joy of our reality, that is what Jesus does for us. And he does it in unexpected ways. That is true. And he does it for everyone, especially the lowly, especially those who we would count out, including ourselves. So I'll ask you, are you, are any of us, experiencing true joy? A joy that transcends all situations, especially expectation, that it is characterized by an expectation. Do you find it in longing or in heartache or in hardship? You don't have to answer. Do you find yourself thinking that your joy comes from within? Do you find yourself thinking that whatever I can do to fix this situation, that will bring me joy? Whatever I can do to heal this hurt, whatever I can do to escape this problem, that's going to bring me joy. Or do we look to Jesus as the content of our joy, the hope and present reality of our salvation, our status with him? I'll ask you this, how have you disqualified yourself or others from experiencing joy? especially the joy of Jesus. Something we all do. We're never good enough. See, we even do that to maybe those closest to us because we know them the best. They can never have joy because of what they did to me. Perhaps even our spouses, our siblings, our parents, our neighbors, maybe even our children. How do we disqualify ourselves or even others from experiencing joy? You see, these are the problems that plague us. We're going to continue to have them. They're going to continue to be present. There's going to be grief in this world. John 16 tells us that. Jesus told us. But what does he promise? No one will ever take away your joy. I'm coming back to see you, and you will rejoice when you see me. See, Jesus came for all. He came in unexpected ways. The first, in an upside-down kingdom, the first will be last, and the last will be first. No one is disqualified from experiencing the joy of Jesus. And we, seated here, have experienced at least a foretaste of that in our lives. And we are at least willing to submit and say, God, when I don't feel joyous, my joy is in you. Maybe that is our posture. 
walking away from this. But you see, also, as God's people indwelt with his spirit, in many ways, we are now the joy, the light of the world. It is our mission for those who feel disqualified, even ourselves, even our families, to bring the joy of Jesus to others. We are his representatives. We bear his image. So how can we do that? In what ways in our lives can we bring the joy of salvation, the joy of a little baby in a manger who didn't come like we thought he would? He didn't rule like we thought he would. He didn't live forever on this earth like we thought he would. He was crucified and buried. But he's ascended. (laughs) He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, how we do that, it looks a lot like humility, being born in a major, not born on a throne. Looks a lot like self-giving, multiplying bread and fish for those who need it, giving even your life for others, and knowing the reward is there and is worth it. It's love beyond qualification. Again, even to ourselves. And it is characterized, truly, by a joy that transcends all things. The joy of Jesus. If you would, pray with me. God, we long for joy. We hurt. We grasp after we grasp after things that never bring us joy, God. We make idols. God, we have for the longest time. It's, we want to run from you sometimes, God, but we pray by the transformation of your Holy Spirit, God, we would find true joy in the face of all circumstances. And we praise you for being the content of that joy. We praise you that we don't have to find it anywhere else except for you. So God, give us the strength and the will and the mind to be like you, to be humble, to be self-giving, to love others beyond qualification. God, let our lives be characterized by the joy by the good news that we don't have to do it on our own. God, you do it for us. So God, do it for us. For this is in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.